Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Paul McDivitt, Communications Specialist here at U of M Extension. Today on the podcast, we're talking about fall fertilizer decisions. We have four members of Extension's Nutrient Management team. Can you each give us a quick introduction? This is Daniel Kaiser. I'm a Nutrient Management Specialist uh, located out of the St. Paul campus. Uh, One of my areas of specialization is the fertilizer guidelines for corn, soybean, and many of our other commodity crops. I am Fabian Fernandez, also in the St. Paul campus. I am a nutrient management specialist focused on nitrogen and environmental quality aspects of uh, nitrogen fertilizers. Hi, this is Jeff Vetch. I'm a soil fertility researcher at uh, the Southern Research and Outreach Center in Waseca, and I focus most of my research on nitrogen management. Brad Carlson, I work out of our regional office in Mankato. I work extensively with water quality and therefore a lot with nitrogen. So what questions are you guys hearing from growers right now regarding fall fertilizer? What are they thinking about the recent rise in fertilizer prices? Yeah, there's a lot of concern and some, but primarily about the uncertainty in all the markets, you know, not just the fertilizer prices, you know, nitrogen started to increase first and phosphorus and that was back in December and January of last year. And they ran up to pretty high prices, but didn't really affect this year's crop because per or most of those purchases had already been made for the 2021 crop, but obviously they're going to affect the 2022 crop. And, but we've got the commodity prices. We got the drought in the Western Midwest. It's got, you know, concern about whether the commodity prices are going to stay where they're at, or are they going to decline and, and good commodity prices make it a lot easier to buy expensive fertilizer than poor commodity prices. We've got the South American crop, which we've heard isn't very good. We've got China's trade, issues and concerns and we've got uh, corn and bean carryovers and USDA acreage and yield estimates that are seem to be jumping around so will the crop prices stay at the levels there are now or will they decline or will they continue to increase and that'll drive you know the the returns and the amount of of uh money guys have to spend on fertilizer Yeah, and I think one of them out there that's jumped quite a bit has been potash. I mean, just been trying to read through some of the articles and see what's going on in particular, if it's a supply issue or what what it is, because I haven't been able to come up with anything. I mean, maybe some of people listening out there might know a little bit more than me in terms of what's going on, but um, it's kind of an interesting one. Um, I think we'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, this a little bit later in terms of the, the potassium deficiency in these dry years. You know, what we've been seeing is I don't know what we're going to see in terms of demand um, because there's there's just a lot of um, things that kind of go on in these dry years um, that can happen. And um, we all know there's some carryover too that could happen where if we have lower yields too, if people are fertilizing for a set yield goal, particularly for a maintenance-based strategy. Um, a lot of questions in terms of what, you know, what they should be looking for this fall um, in terms of reduced rates or, you know, what might be carried over. So I think that's going to be kind of the the main thing, um, you know, looking at some of these these nutrients and, um, you know, for nitrogen, it'll mainly be probably for corn on corn. You know, what's what's going to happen there? Um, will there be anything left over? Because the last few years, we just really, when I've measured some of our residual nitrates, there just hasn't been a lot there. So we didn't really go into the season with, with that much um, nitrogen seemingly in some of these areas uh, for residual in the soil. So, you know, the question is what's going to be happening this year, are we going to be getting mineralization? Are we, are we going to see any of that carryover? Which I think it's going to be a big question mark right now. Yeah, and um, 
what I've seen the most or, or heard the most from farmers is is the fact that they're wondering how much uh, how much credit there will be, and so I think uh, the yields of this fall will determine in large measure. Um, as as Jeff said, you know what the income is and what the outlook is for prices the following year, but then uh, how much is being removed by the crop in terms of P and K, for instance. Uh, and and the question about uh, mineralization is an important one, and we can we can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, it is definitely uh, something worth considering. And I just spent the last couple of days at Farm Fast and. I guess uh, one of the producers I was chatting with that already booked his fertilizer earlier in the summer, uh, the, uh, the uh, dealer had reached out to him at the point they were booking their fertilizer uh, to uh, be able to combine it with their, their order. Uh, but I guess it's worth reminding uh, folks that even though nitrogen prices are pretty high, they're still maintaining about that 0.1 price ratio, which is uh, you know, roughly where a lot of our rate recommendations have come in uh, over the last 20 years. And so um, I guess it's, it's worth keeping uh, that into perspective. I think uh, with some of the uncertainty though, and with still having that 0.1 price ratio, which again, despite high relative prices of fertilizer, uh, still should add some comfort with respect to its relationship to crop price. You know, it, it may be worthwhile for farmers to be thinking about locking those price ratios in before they maybe get out of whack because uh, there would be the possibility of that happening later on. With the dry conditions, is there anything growers need to be thinking about regarding nutrient availability or soil testing that might arise this fall if conditions stay dry? It's been an interesting year in that respect. Uh, you know, Dan mentioned the fact that we've had very little residual or carryover in the last several years with as wet as it has been. Uh, you know, we've kind of uh, uh, really beat the point home the last several years uh, relative to uh, nitrogen loss uh, uh, pathways being water driven and therefore in a dry year we don't experience those. Uh, last year at harvest time, at least in my area in south central Minnesota, we reached soil saturation early in the harvest season and then from that point on it's just been uh, uh, continually dry. Uh, so, you know, we possibly probably did uh, carry over some mineralized nitrogen from last year uh, as we got late in the harvest season and there was a somewhat of a water deficit uh, in the profile mostly related to evaporation, of course, because there weren't plants actually actively using the water. Uh, then as the season went on and, and uh, we've, we've gotten these uh, timely rainfalls, but certainly not abundant rainfalls, uh, I anticipate that we've had uh, more than adequate mineralization from soil organic matter. The question kind of becomes whether the plants have been able to utilize that. Uh, a number of farmers commented to me, uh, again at FarmFest the last couple of days, how incredibly green the crop looked within a day or two after each of these rainfalls. That's to be expected. Uh, you know, as, as the process of nitrification happens, uh, largely the nitrate in the soil is going to move into the plant with water. And so as we get some water available in that top zone where a lot of the organic matter is and the mineralization is occurring, we would expect to see the, the plants green up. I have personally noticed in the last uh, week or so, uh, some fields are starting to look pale. And I think that is uh, a matter of positional availability of nitrogen. Uh, clearly we are getting very dry 
in the top parts of the root zone while we are not necessarily seeing significant water stress on the plant as far as leaf curling. Uh, it does uh, stand to reason that the majority of the water that plant is picking up is from the lower parts of the rooting zone and most of the nitrogen is going to be present in the top part of the uh, root, rooting zone. And so I guess the, the kind of the take home message to that is, is if you're seeing your plants getting yellow in spots in the field, that does not mean you were short on nitrogen. It means you're short on water and everybody knows that right now. Uh, it's also worth noting uh, when you see these things that uh, frequently, if you look on the other side of the road, you'll also see a field that doesn't have those problems. So clearly there's also an interaction uh, with management there too. Uh, so as we head into the fall, uh, it seems quite likely because of the water deficit that we have in the profile uh, that we are going to probably maintain a, uh, a uh, carryover, if you will, of nitrogen simply because uh, we've not experienced the type of uh, moisture conditions that would lead to it being lost. And, and so that's, uh, that's something worth keeping an eye on. The, the other thing too uh, is that uh, with the, um, the dry conditions that we are having right now, if you think of the plant and where it is right now in the reproductive stages, filling up the grain, uh, the sink in that plant becomes the, the cob. And so the plant is going to do everything it can to put nitrogen and nutrients into that um, grain. And so if there is not enough water uh, to move nitrogen from the soil, as Brad mentioned, there is a lot of nitrogen right now in the soil. And as soon as you get a little bit of rain, you can see that flush of nitrogen being taken up by the crop. The challenge is that as the plant starts to cannibalize itself, uh, if there is not enough water, it will just kind of relocalize the nitrogen from, from whatever plant part that has it uh, into the grain is that you end up with, with tissues that are no longer very active. Uh, and so even if you get rain, if the plant, uh, the tissues are kind of dying already, it could be a, a problem, right? Because the plant will have less ability after a rain event to take up that nitrogen. And that's something to, to keep in mind that could exacerbate the, uh, the issue of um, uh, residual nitrogen um, and also reduction in yield simply because uh, right now there is not much way, a good way of the plant for the plant to take up nitrogen. And then if we get water and mineralization going, uh, potentially if those plants are already suffering, we may end up having less potential to, to take up what is out in the soil. Uh, just one more point that, that came up at FarmFest that, that builds right off of what Fabian just said. Uh, it's worth keeping an eye on as we head towards harvest as far as stock strength. If, if that cannibalization gets severe, we could start seeing uh, issues with, with uh, the strength of that stock. And uh, of course, if we get a windy day, it can start coming down. So farmers are going to want to kind of pay attention to that and be scouting their fields to see if they're having problems with that as we head towards harvest. Yeah, one of the odd things I saw, I mean, I was just, um, we were doing some alfalfa harvests. I mean, recently I was out at Rosemont looking at some of the plots. And I mean, one of the things I noticed with some of my corn too is the height on some of that. I, I don't know, Jeff, I mean, some of the stuff, I mean, we got some of the same hybrids growing down at Wasika, but I mean, I had a plot there that the corn is about 10, 12 feet tall. And it's, it was one of the things that just looking at it, um, you know, real thin stalks, a lot of firing. I've been seeing potassium deficiency on fields, which I wouldn't have expected it, which, you know, even in a dry year last year, I mean, we were somewhat dry. I never really saw it in some of these same fields. 
that um, really not really knowing what's going on. But Brad, I think you're to your point there too. I mean, with that situation where I got real thin stocks, real tall stocks, there could be some issues there to be to be watching out for. But um, but I don't know, Jeff. I don't know if you've seen some of that stuff down at Wasika as well, or how things been looking down there. Yeah, I think that's a great comment, Dan. We do have really tall plants, uh, corn and beans that are you know up to our waist and and beyond at this point. And and I there are some spindly stocks, and you saw a lot of uneven emergence this year because of the dry conditions. And those plants that emerge late, they have poor ears or or ear that now as the droughts set in is probably not going to do very much. And those plants are going to go down. Fortunately, if you lose the year from those plants, if they go down, it probably isn't going to be a big deal. But stock strength is going to be an issue and, and standability as we get close to harvest, especially if the drought intensifies this fall, which the forecasts are kind of for it to continue. The other concern with that is uh, corn rootworm has been just unbelievable here in southern Minnesota. I, I haven't seen this many rootworms in Wasika in, in many, many years. And we know we've got root feeding and even on some of the traded hybrids we do. And, and uh, that's contributing to some of these nutrient deficiencies and water available or uptake problems. And it could lead to stock strength or, or standability as well. I've got some plants that goosenecked a little bit after the wind last week, but mostly it's just a, it's a recipe for potential disaster here later on if we get some high winds in, in uh, late September, early October. Well, it'd be interesting to see, Jeff, some of the potassium trials, too, because that's always one of the things that's talked about quite a bit is potassium and, and stock strength. So it'd be interesting to see what some of that looks like. I mean, I know there was some comments or some 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 popular press articles talking about sulfur, too, in some of these dry years. Um, you know, I haven't really seen anything that's been worse, you know, this year than, than any other year. Now, one of the things that you've got to look at is with these nutrients is what's going to be most limiting. And I think nitrogen is probably the one that we're going to see more closely I mean being the limiting factor since it's the demands a lot higher than some of these other nutrients but certainly some of the fields where we had potassium deficiencies earlier I mean I would suspect there I was able to look at the trial when I was out there because they're irrigating the field um, we've got a, one that showed some pretty severe de potassium deficiencies out at Rosemont as well and so I would I would suspect that and we might still see some of that but nitrogen right now with the demand I mean most other new nutrients we see a lot of leveling off for uptake nitrogen we know from about i think fabian it's r2 on it's about 20 percent with these hybrids yeah. so there's still some nitrogen being taken up at that point in time so that the yellowing it's, it's one of those things that um you know it's a good year to sharpen up your your knowledge on nutrient deficiency symptoms because there's a you know quite a few things that i saw going out to some of these fields that i wouldn't have expected to see to your point Dan, that the uh, the time of uptake is very important in years like this where it's dry you know potassium for the most part is all taken up by around r1 or r2 and so the plants are done taking potassium so if there was enough moisture and in some of these soils even though we didn't get a lot of rain um, the soils have a huge capacity to to store water and so we we saw that uh, a lot of those soils you know supply adequate uh, potassium but uh, the biggest question really is for as you said and nitrogen because it's continued to be taken up and to a certain extent phosphorus uh, could be another one that you know is being taken up through the whole growing season and under these dry conditions the plant um, 
will not have access to it simply not because phosphorus is not in the soil, but uh, as we were talking with nitrogen, it's not available to the plant simply because there is not enough moisture to move it in. And I would suspect, I mean, just looking at this fall, I mean, if you're soil sampling, I mean, P and K are a lot easier, I mean, to deal with in terms of that, because I mean, phosphorus really shouldn't be as impacted, although, you know, just getting a decent six inch soil sample could be challenging this fall, just as how hard the soil is there if there's any moisture but um i would suspect a lot of low k tests again particularly in high clay soils with the fixation that can occur with drying and also the the fact that many of these fields if you're sampling particularly following corn um, there's still going to be a lot of that potassium locked up in the residue without rainfall to flush it out i mean at best the numbers i've seen is 50 60 percent return with a lot of rainfall so you get these dry years there's, there's likely going to be lower k tests this fall i mean the the question really will be nitrogen, and I don't know, Fabian, kind of what your general opinion is uh, right now in terms of the soil nitrate test. It's something we should be looking at for, for um, sampling for fall just to see where things are at. Yeah, so nitrogen, as we all know, is um, it, it can change quickly in the soil based on, on, on precipitation. And so if you're uh, making a decision on nitrogen applications this fall, uh, looking at the residual could be a way to, to help you, especially in the western part of uh, Minnesota. But as we have seen in, in over the, the last several years, uh, even in western Minnesota, where we tend to be drier, that's not always the case. We sometimes get a lot of precipitation between the fall and, and the spring before we plant. And so that can change substantially the, the picture of nitrogen availability uh, for the next crop. And so uh, I would say you can use the, uh, the soil nitrogen test in the fall or early spring if you consider that you have a lot of residual, but uh, I tend to prefer uh, a sample done in the spring more than the fall, even, even for Western Minnesota. Because of because simply we don't know what is going to happen the next spring. You know, if we have a, a normal spring with a lot of precipitation and we have seen extreme precipitation in the last years, except for this year, the potential is that um, we may not have as much of that nitrogen, and it it could be denitrifying or leaching down the um, the tile lines if the conditions are you know are uh, wet, and so. It's anybody's guess. Uh, if if you really want to to figure out what you have, definitely take a soil test. That's that's probably one of the best tools that we have. I would not recommend, for instance, uh, doing anything with the, the basal stock nitrate test this year, uh, simply because um, the, as we were talking about the crop, uh, the ability of the crop to take up nitrogen has been pretty low. So I suspect that this year uh, that test will have very little. Uh, reliability, just because uh, most of the nitrogen that the plant has taken up is is going to either end up in the grain if it's cannibalizing, or it may end up just building up in the lower stocks because it's not able to use it. So it's kind of those two situations there. Um, and so, but soil test, definitely a tool, but uh, I would say kind of proceed with caution in terms of interpreting what those values mean for you uh, making a decision for next crop? You know, one, one of the things that we kind of stress, Fabian, is, is with Nitrogen Smart when we do that training is just simply 
coordinating or, or timing that test in a way that you can be comfortable that that nitrogen is still there at the time the crop needs it. And of course, the, the focus needs to be that the crop is primarily taking up its, its bulk of its nitrogen starting about the uh, second to third week of June. And so the farther you get away from that time period with that sampling, the, the higher the probability is we'll experience some sort of climatic or soil, I should say soil conditions, uh, saturated conditions that can lead uh, to nitrogen loss and therefore make that number uh, unreliable. Um, the, the, the one area though that I think helps with this is a lot of the move to side dress uh, nitrogen. Uh, that being if producers are looking at doing a split application anyway, you can pretty comfortably put on your early split uh, as long as you've got that soil test number um, and you feel like we have not, uh, you know, not experienced a significant enough rainfall to saturate the soil for longer periods of time, then you can comfortably credit that and really probably cut back or maybe even eliminate that side dress knowing that you've got enough nitrogen out there. And so that's one way to kind of hedge that bet. Of course, that doesn't help with uh, if you pre-booked that nitrogen and you and you bought it, uh, then of course you've got to you got to figure out how that works. But I guess I'd have a conversation with my retailer about that. Yeah, that's I totally agree with you, Brad. You know, the uh, the ability to apply nitrogen in a side dress application will be, I think, a really good tool next year because. If we indeed get quite a bit of carryover nitrogen and stays in the soil, you could have substantial savings there if you wait to apply nitrogen once you know for sure that that nitrogen in the soil will be staying there. Yeah, and I think one other point that's worth mentioning because it's kind of the area that I work with is that we've got kind of a, a longer term history of high nitrate levels in surface waters in years following a drought, uh, we tend to see the accumulation in the profile and then you tend to see it flushing in the next year or two after that. And I think uh, uh, it's worth reiterating in agriculture, we all need to be concerned about these issues, regardless of whether you personally feel like you're concerned as an industry, this certainly is something that needs to be addressed because the public is concerned. And so we are going to have to be mindful that we have set ourselves up for a situation where we could see high nitrate numbers in surface waters and that most certainly will make the news if that happens. And so, you know, at this point where we're ahead of the game, uh, we should look at the possibility of trying to uh, recover that nitrogen for our growing crop instead of allowing it to flush out of the system. Yes, that's that's exactly right. I have a graduate student actually that started this year in a, doing a tile drain study and we have had zero flow since about the first part of April. Um, and so it's, it's not uh, at all unlikely that we will have uh, a lot of nitrate leaching if we if we get rain again uh, in the next spring. One, one additional thing that I wanted to mention too in terms of uh, these dry conditions is the fact that um, in most years after the crop ends uh, its cycle, so around R6 when the plant is not taking up more nitrogen, we start to see um, soil nitrogen values increase because if there is moisture and obviously early in the fall, we have good amount of temperature for mineralization to take place. We normally tend to see those numbers ticking up. But this year, I suspect that if there is a lot of residual nitrogen, and I'm sure there is quite a bit in most fields, um, we could potentially see a little bit less mineralization simply because the soil tends to go to an equilibrium. And so if there is enough nitrogen already in the profile as an ammonium form, we may not mineralize as much. 
this file, which you know is it's actually a good thing because uh, in, in a way, if nitrogen stays in the organic form, you're kind of keeping it in the safe savings account rather than the checking account that can be swept any moment. <laughs> um, and then the other part is uh, crop residue. You know, a lot of the nitrogen that um, it's cycled back into the system comes from that residue. And if it's dry and stays dry, uh, the the mineralization is not going to, or the immobilization that is, or the, the nitrogen that is immobilizing the crop residue right now will not be mineralizing very quickly. And we may start to see some of that happening in the spring. Now, one of the other things I think it's worth uh, keeping an eye on is we've talked a lot over the last couple of years uh, about cover crops potentially being a way of of uh, picking up that uh, residual nitrogen in the soil uh, at the end of the season. It goes without saying with as dry as it is right now that the uh, potential of establishing that cover crop is a bit dicey in a lot of places. But I guess it's also worth noting, it kind of appears like maybe our weather pattern has changed a little bit. And so if we head into a harvest season here this year and it, we are picking up more frequent rainfall, this uh, might be a good year to try and get a cover crop out there uh, particularly anywhere where you're going to harvest early uh, and have the ability to do so, that may be a tool for recovering some of that nitrogen for use for the crop next year. Is there anything related to changes in our fertilizer guidelines that growers should be aware of? Well, we're, we're, <clears throat> we're working on a few things, um, particularly related to potassium. Um, hopefully over this winter, I'll start to have a better idea and kind of where we'll be going with the, the, the K guidelines. Um, Right now, when we made changes, I think it was back in 2019, that was geared towards mostly some of the, the medium to fine textured soils. So I've got some questions right now on some of the silt loams, uh, you know, whether or not we need as high of a critical level as, as what I've established with the new guidelines. And um, also, you know, looking at some of the sands is, is kind of the question. And uh, when I made the changes for the removal-based guidelines, I never really put potassium in there uh, just because I didn't have a good handle on, you know, what the good tar the, the target point is. So I'm kind of hoping as we start to finish some of the, the project I have funded through the corn growers that we'll have a better handle on this. Uh, nitrogen is going to be the big question. I'm kind of interested to see what things will look like this year because I don't know. Uh, we've seen uh, particularly some areas of the state, um, you know, Jeff, I know you've been working on some stuff down in some of those uh, silty clay loams in uh, some of those uh, less, you know, the over till in those areas um, or the, some even some of the stuff around the Wasik area there and some of the heavier clay soils that we've been seeing a higher nitrogen demand in the wet years. So it'd be kind of a good question and, and what's going to happen this year because we haven't really made any changes with uh, the database. Um, I've been trying to get some of the data together to look at it, but we <clears throat> still have a ways to go here with some of that. So um, I'm just kind of curious in what this year is going to bring, and we'll, we'll kind of see when the data starts rolling and where nitrogen responses are, if they're, they're similar or more, or, or what's going to happen. Because this dry conditions are really, I think, going to affect things substantially. Yeah, that's a good point, Dan. Uh, in southeast Minnesota, where we've had a pretty uh, significant effort in looking at, at uh, with N-rate trials on farm fields, We've seen in the recent years kind of an uptick in the N need as, as what we've seen here at Wasika as well on a poorly drained glacial till soil. But this year has been very much different. Um, a lot of these N trials, 100 pounds for corn after beans. We've got SPAD data that looks like that could be enough nitrogen, so much lower than what we've seen in recent years. 
and in corn on corn, some of the same, but I, you guys were talking about deficiency symptoms earlier and boy, in corn on corn, I've seen everything this year. I've seen K deficiency early and now sulfur deficiency and we've got these leaves sloughing and I think the drought stress has impacted corn on corn way more than corn after beans. Most of our corn on beans is hanging on here at Waseca and our corn on corn starting to look pretty tough. But, but yeah, the end demand or end need this year is going to be a lot different than we've seen in recent years. So I think getting back to what Fabian and Brad were talking about earlier, I think the likelihood of carryover end for next year is quite likely. You know, we're at a seven to eight inch growing season precip deficit here in Waseca. Not this big a deficit in Southeast Minnesota. They've had some pretty timely rains in Fillmore, Olmstead, and especially in, in Houston County. But here in Waseca and areas west, we've got a pretty large soil moisture deficit. It's gonna take a lot of rain to, to recharge that. And it's very unlikely that we're gonna go into November or the early December soil freeze up with that deficit recharge. It's possible, but very unlikely so. I think the likelihood of uh, carryover in is is quite likely. And whether you just sample in the fall for nitrates or you sample this spring, obviously if you're in South Central, Southeastern, you'd want to wait until spring. One one thing that I would say is, you know, it, it's sometimes easy to kind of forget the, the long-term trend of things and overreact on based on what happens in the growing season. And um it's typically a bad idea to do that especially with a year like this that is so atypical i think uh when we talk about guidelines for nutrients uh kind of the steady path is is really the the, the way to go well we can definitely uh, look at tools like we talked about with um the precise dress nitrate test or or um residual nitrogen test um as a tool to help us I think overall the important thing to keep in mind is not to overreact um, based on what we've seen this year. Does anyone have any additional tips for growers on uh, how to save on fertilizer costs this fall and next spring? Well, soil testing really is your best option. Um, you know, for phosphorus, I think looking at it, um, that one I, I think is gonna be more consistent even with the dry conditions where, you know, if you're above 20, between 20 and 30, I mean, a starter only rate would be, you know, usually it should be sufficient for that. If you're above 30, and that might be an area to start looking at, yeah, okay, maybe we can cut back here. And, you know, if potassium's a little bit lower, if the price is higher, um, put a little bit, or at least try to maintain our K applications. I mean, that's that, I think that's gonna be the tricky thing is gonna be, getting an accurate read on potassium uh, because, you know, Jeff, some of the stuff that you've shown me from some of your trials, particularly around Waseca last fall, I mean, there was the substantial drops in the, the K-soil tests. So, you know, we get a little bit more moisture. It'll be interesting to see if those jump up a little bit, um, you know, that how potassium fixes, it's, you know, one of the things that makes it kind of difficult is these dry years, because I would expect to see the tests go down to just a question of, you know, whether or not that's a true or accurate uh, representation of what the availability is going to be the next year. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%, Dan. Um, I think if growers are thinking about trying to cut back on fertilizer rates to save money, it would be phosphorus would be the nutrient. And the, the criteria, the soil test levels for Bray P that you mentioned are, are spot on. And for K, there definitely is a lot more uncertainty. And in our long-term trials, both here at Waseca and Rochester, we did see soil test levels drop significantly for K last year um, with samples taken in a year where we had very good moisture. And now this year their values are still relatively low. And as you said, 
if guys sample this fall, they could see even lower numbers, especially if we're not going to get this K to leach out of this crop if it stays as dry as the crop uh, deteriorates in the fall too. So that could affect uh, soil tests that you, values you get back from the lab and your decisions. And pH has been another one too. I know I just, I had a call recently, somebody asking me about liming, um, seeing some drops in pH. Um, don't really know how to completely address that. Um, you know, we, I, I guess I haven't really looked at liming or, or changes in pH in some of these dry years. Uh, the main thing with soil pH though, uh, for most crops, other than say alfalfa, uh, if you're six or above, you shouldn't really have to worry too much about it. Uh, we know that corn and beans also can go lower than that. I mean, typically we'll recommend the liming once you get below six. So, you know, that's one of the things to watch. The, the, that's one of the issues with, with grid sampling though. If you're grid sampling every four years and you know, this ends up being that fourth year, you know, looking at your long-term trends, it, it can be difficult because you get a year like this and everything, you know, your conditions change and your numbers go a little wacky then, you know, the question then is how do I read that if I want to look at kind of what long-term what's happening in my field. So that's always the challenge with that, but it's still better knowing or having at least a soil test around um, to, to help you make a decision. And I, again, I would expect, you know, maybe your pH um, K is going to be probably the big one. I don't think, you know, with some of your micros, zinc particularly, or your phosphorus, you're going to see a whole lot of um, impact of the the dry conditions, as long as you can get a good sample. And I think that's going to be the, the big thing that would affect you more than anything. If you sample too shallow, you're likely going to get some, some higher results. Uh, one of the things that, that also was brought to my attention at uh, FarmFest, I had a producer come to me with a analysis report from uh, some sort of an industrial byproduct. Uh, I, I guess we kind of went, went down the direction of looking at his report. And I guess I never did get around to asking where the product came from. But uh, this, this fellow was out in Western Minnesota and this particular product, while it had five pounds of nitrogen uh, per thousand or, or 10 pounds per ton, um, it had a pH of 9.4, you know, and that's just not something you wanna be putting on the field uh, out in Western Minnesota. Uh, so that's, that's another thing uh, uh, to be sort of mindful of. And, you know, in terms of saving fertilizer costs these fall, I would say because of what we talked about with the high potential of having residual nitrogen into the next spring, but then having the wild card of never knowing how much of that would actually be available for the crop, uh, depending on spring conditions. Uh, I would, I would uh, highly suggest that people look at uh, uh, either a pre-plant application of nitrogen or looking at side dress application timing to try to manage nitrogen more effectively. And then the other thing that we haven't really talked about too much, but uh, it can certainly be an important strategy is the cropping system. Uh, we haven't really talked about uh, problems with IDC, for instance, in fields that may have a lot of residual nitrogen and potentially changing the crop to corn or or some other crop, a grain, grain crop that um, that could take advantage of that uh, some of that uh, nitrogen that is left left from this growing season. You know, one of the other things I guess that comes to mind too, it's worth mentioning. Uh, we've sort of uh, uh, talked around this issue during this podcast, 
related to the increased nitrogen demand for the corn crop the last several years, mostly attributable to how wet the season was. But in conversation with a lot of growers, they have sort of hedged their rates uh, higher uh, or what they consider their normal application rates. I think it's is worth pointing out that while those may have been justified under the conditions, you probably shouldn't consider those to be your normal rates. You should consider that to be the, the rate necessary uh, when we've had those abnormally wet conditions. And given the current situation, uh, probably reevaluating that and going back to what would be considered more of a normal rate. All right, any last words from the group? Well, I think the main thing is just we're going to have to kind of see what this fall brings. You know, if we start getting into a, and hopefully we get into a, a pattern where we can get some precipitation to start recharging some of, of what, what's been lost. Because, I mean, it's amazing to me driving around kind of where I'm at, North Metro there, and in areas where we had some of these shallow depressional ponds and lakes, they're gone. So I'm kind of hoping that, um, you know, we can get into something. It's just and then a question of what's going to happen with nutrients, particularly nitrogen in the spring. So... You know, it's there's if you're buying fertilizer now, there's really no good way to know about it. So, I mean, that's it's one of the challenges, you know, particularly in this, the situation we're in is um, we know there's likely going to be some issues kind of going into fall. We just hopefully um, we get to more normal conditions next spring. But that's going to be a question of how that's going to affect things. It's, it's really going to be the difficulty when for making a plan of what to do for nutrient management uh, for the 2022 cropping season. Right now here in the Wasika area, we're kind of kind of simulating what we saw in 2012 where we had a decent crop but boy at the end of the year the soils were really you know dry and we uh, had some issues with fall anhydrous because there's always enough moisture to bind the ammonia to the soil but there may not be enough soil moisture to get it to seal so that's something people are going to have to think about if it stays this dry when we start putting anhydrous on in late October to make sure that it's sealing. Well, not only that, Jeff, there was some conversation with some producers uh, out in West Central Minnesota that I had uh, at FarmFest who were saying it's just simply too dry to even be getting the knife into the ground. I mean, just from a physical standpoint of putting that knife in. So, so those guys uh, also have that to be concerned about. Yeah, you're right, Brad. It'll be a year when uh, disc ripper shanks will be selling off the shelves and you won't be able to find them again, just like the fall of 2012. All right, that about does it for the podcast this week. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, AFRAC, for supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>